Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of the Ocean View Podcast. No matter where you're at in our country or around the world, we thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Now sit back and enjoy this week's message. First, Happy Easter, everybody. Uh, my name is Terry. It's a joy to be able to welcome you here on this Easter Sunday. Uh, um, I hope, uh, like me, if you see me in the front row, I'm usually just, you know, dancing because it's just so great to be able to worship um, on Sunday. And maybe you haven't been to church in a very long time. Maybe it's your first time here. Um, we're excited that you're here. And I'm excited that it's Easter um, because one of the things that always um, trips me up on Easter, um, we always focus on the tomb. We always focus on the fact that Jesus is alive. And those are amazing things. But um, more recently, I've been really really studying and really, really focusing on, on one amazing fact. And that is this, um, that if, if you're a Christian in this room, you believe in Jesus, you know, he was born of a Virgin Mary, you know, he led the disciples. He taught, um, you know, that people waved palm branches in the air. They shouted Hosanna, but you knew that he was God. You also knew that God knew Jesus knew what was going to happen to him. He knew that he was going to be betrayed. He knew that he would go to a cross. He knew that he'd have nails driven. He knew that he'd be flogged. And yet he still chose to do it. I don't know if if, if you really fathom that or thought about that, but let me illustrate this another way. Um, There are many of us in this room that um, we would be more than happy to walk into something if we thought it was a favorable result. But all of a sudden our, our thoughts would change in a second if we knew the outcome of what it was to be. Um, every Friday night, we, my family, we typically go out to dinner and it's a fun time because usually my son, Connor, is 10 years old. He's in the house and we'll say, Connor, get your shoes on. We're going to go to dinner. Yes, best day ever. Thanks, dad. Awesome. Woohoo. And I know the routine. I know what's going to happen because he'll get all excited and then he'll run and he'll, he'll just be running around and find his shoes and put his shoes on. And then all of a sudden, um, the first question is going to come and I have to deflect this. Parents, you understand this ritual. You've got to deflect certain things. So he said, well, wait, 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 dad, it's great. We're going to dinner. Where are we going? Where are we going? Don't, don't worry, but just get your shoes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Shoes. Yes. Yes. Dinner time. Awesome. 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 Because I know this because my son, he loves Mexican food. I really do. I don't know what it is. He has an affinity for Mexican food. He loves all Mexican food. And every Friday night, we would have Mexican food for the rest of our lives if it was up to him. And in his mind, no matter how many times we have changed it, he's going to have Mexican food. So I know this. And so he he goes in, he gets his shoes on. We get in the car, we start pulling on. Everything's going to be great because my son, he knows we're going out to dinner. Awesome. He knows we're going to have Mexican food. Awesome. I'm going to get the number three, the burrito with extra cheese. It's going to be awesome. Until one moment, and I know what's going to happen. You see, when we pull out of our driveway and we go on our street, here's the routine. If you make a left at the end of the street, that means we're going for pizza. If you make a right, it means we're going for Mexican food. So all of a sudden, we pull up to the stop sign, and the car just very so slightly, I I even think he sees my hands move the steering wheel this way, and I know what's going to happen. Dad, Dad, where, where, where are we going? We're going for Mexican, right, Dad? Dad, we're going for Mexican. Well, bud, oh! it's like, wait, we had Mexican food three times, bud. We're going to have pizza. Pizza, no. The world's ending. It's awful. And I was like, you know, you're Italian, right? I mean, this is supposed to be good. But the fact is, how does a young boy at 10 go from angel child, the world is great, Jesus is alive, to the world is ending, I don't want my parents anymore, this is it. I think the same thing happens to us in life, though, doesn't it? 
I think as long, God, as long as my life is going the way I want it to, God, as long as I'm, I have my job, the one I want, the one I'm passion filled, as long as my marriage is okay, my wife and I, we get along, as long as the kids behave and do it, God, you're awesome. And then all of a sudden, there is something wrong in the marriage. God, what are you doing? God, why? All of a sudden, there's a call from the principal at school. God, what is going on? I don't understand this. And all of a sudden in our lives, when everything we know is ever going to be okay, we're okay. But when all of a sudden things start to change, we lose our focus. Well, whether you're a Christian or not in here today, um, did you know that God has promised us four stones throughout Scripture? The truth is 84% of people that sit in the church have never read the Bible. That's fact. And so I want to give you biblical facts today, not biblical opinion. And so in scripture, God promised all those that believe in him and that trust him four different types of stones to be able to help you navigate through the journey of life. So if you're a note taker, I'm going to give you each of those stones as we walk through. And the first stone, before I I reveal it, I want to set it up for you. Here's the truth. Some of you walked in today. And it's the first time you've been in church for a very long time. And it could be, and I understand, it could be because maybe as a youth, you went with your parents and your parents dragged you to church kicking and screaming whether you liked it or not. And while you were there, maybe you just didn't, you know, for whatever reason, your church experience was sitting next to your dad. And if you uttered a peep, you got smacked. And that's what church is to you. And you're like, if that's what church is, if that's what God's all about, I don't want anything to do it. And so maybe you left church. Maybe it was after college. Maybe you got to college and you didn't know what to do with your faith. And you said, you know what? I, I, I'm on my own. My parents are not making me. So, I mean, why go on a Sunday? I don't understand this. And so maybe you're sitting in this room and you've gone through, but today you've decided to come back and there's something that drew you back. There's something that said, you know what? I should go to church on Easter. It's Easter. Well, here's the truth. I, I believe at times, maybe in your life, you forgot the first stone that God gives us. And it's what I like to call the birthstone. Did you know that in this room, you were created in the image of God? You were given a birthstone by our Father. That some of you in this room think God doesn't care about me, God doesn't want me. No, no, no. You are a firstborn of God. He loves you like a firstborn child. Some of you parents, you remember this in this room, that you're firstborn. You remember you all of a sudden take the pacifier and if it fell on the ground, you picked it up and boiled it for 30 minutes and then gave it back because it was, it was clean. The fourth child, you throw it in the dirt purposely and stick it in their mouth because it'll build their immune system. But to God, you're a firstborn. I remember standing when the doctor handed me my firstborn child in Connor. And I remember counting the fingers and the toes. And I remember saying to Jennifer, Jennifer, he's got the same hands, the same feet. He's got your eyes. And there's something that happens to a dad and a mom when they hold their firstborn. There's an amazing connection. There's a treasure there. And many of you in this room, you've forgotten the fact that God has created you in his image. You are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. He knew you in the womb. He knows the hair or lack thereof on your head. And he says in scripture, he speaks and calls out to us. In fact, in Deuteronomy 32, 18, I want you to read this. He said, look, some of you, you neglected the rock who had fathered you. You forgot the God who had given you birth. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Whether you like it or not, you are created in the image of God. And I don't know about you, but when I think of 
how almighty and all powerful and all incredible God is, but to think that he thought of me as his firstborn and he holds me in his arms at times the same way I held my firstborn makes me look at God in a whole different entire way. And maybe for some of you, that's your message today. Maybe today you needed to be reminded that God is not angry at you and would have a magnifying glass and wants to burn you like an ant. That's not scriptural. That's great biblical opinion and fodder for pastors that use that. But the Jesus I know looked at the people who spit on him and mocked him and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And that's the kind of love that God has for you. There's a second stone that I think a majority of you find yourselves in all the time. It's what I like to call a grindstone. And a grindstone, if you take a look, there's a picture um, right here of a grindstone. And a grindstone is used to sharpen porous tools. And it's used always to, to kind of create a tool that is useful. I was in St. Augustine, Florida just recently, and we went to this little colonial village. St. Augustine is the oldest city in the, in the United States. And we went into this little colonial town, and they recreated it, and they had a blacksmith shop. And so we went ahead and we went with this tour guide and she was amazing. She was playing the part of a colonial villager and she's leading us around and she gets to this blacksmith shop and I thought she's just going to talk about it. Oh no, she was giving a real life presentation. So she went in the back, she put gloves on and she had a fire going with hot, hot, hot coals. And she took out a rod of steel and that she had put in there before. She pulled it out. It was glowing red, 1700 degrees Fahrenheit. She took a tool and she grabbed it and she bent it back and forth. And then she took some tools and she used the grindstone to grind these tools specifically. And it reminded me of life. There are some of you in this room that are going through, you, you, you have no problem believing God, you have no problem believing that he died on the cross, but in your life right now, you're not really happy with God right now because you're saying, God, why are you letting these things happen? God, I had a plan. You and I had this worked out. And all of a sudden, it's not going the way that I want to. I don't know how much more I can take, God. And what you're not realizing is God allows these grindstone moments for your betterment, not your punishment. It's hard to believe that I know. I know what it's like to come into a church and really not have a relationship with God and sit there and say, yeah, whatever, pastor, um, this is for my betterment. Yeah, you don't know my life. You don't know what's going on. But no, did you know in scripture, he actually speaks of grindstones that he purposely wants to allow in your life to come your way. And I'm gonna share with you in a second why. Take a look at this. This comes from Zechariah 13.9. I will bring that group through the fire. I will make them pure. I will refine them like silver, purify them like gold. They will call on my name. I will answer them. I will say, these are my people. And they will say, the Lord is our God. You see, when you are allowed to have a a grindstone in your life, God is right there with you. And he is purposely allowing this in order to build and grow your faith, to allow it to sharpen you because you are a tool. Did you know that God has a purpose for your life? He uses all of us like a tool for him to bring him glory. But here's the great thing about God. He promised never to leave us nor forsake us. So while we're going through the grindstone moments, he's standing right there beside us. Do you know, here's an illustration. I was in St. Augustine. She's bending this tool back and forth. And all of a sudden she gets done. She straightens it out. And at the end, she puts it, she puts it in water. Actually, before she puts it in water, she has it. And she has these fragments that are down below. And she goes, do you know what these are? And I go, no, I can't see it. And she said, this is beeswax. I go, interesting. 
And she says, this beeswax, watch. And she took the beeswax and she all of a sudden started wiping it down the side of this very hot rod of steel. And she says, the reason why I'm doing this is steel is porous. It has microscopic holes in it, which weaken the steel. But we use this beeswax to seal those holes, which makes it stronger. You know, in our lives, while we go through the fire, the seal that we have is the promise that God is right there. That while we go through the grindstone moments, most of us feel like, God, we're getting bent too far. We're going to break. No, you will never break because God seals his promises with you. And you have the ability to walk through any grindstone moment in your life because he is faithful. Now, some of you, you say, well, Terry, I'm about to give up. And, you know, just a few weeks ago in our church, I talked about a position we find ourselves in called the land between. And let me define this for those of you who are new. The land between is where you were and where God wants you to be. The land between is where you were and where God wants you to be. It's like you're stuck at times. You know, God, everything was great here, God. Wait, whoa, grindstone moment. Hold up, God, what's going on? I don't understand. Is this ever going to end? This hurts, God. I don't think I can get through it. And God, I know that's where you ultimately want me. I don't think I can make it. It's called the land between. If you're taking notes, write this down. God uses difficult circumstances to help shape and mold us for a better purpose. If you're stuck in a grindstone moment, if you're stuck in the land between, you need to remember that God seals the grindstone, the tool that you are, and he promises to be faithful every step of the way. This third stone is my favorite. Well, I shouldn't say that the fourth stone is pretty important, but I, I love this third stone. And this third stone is very evident in the Holy Land in Israel. At the end of this year, we're taking a trip to the Holy Land. If you're interested, you could find information out at the information desk. But one of the things that we do is we go to the Temple Mount. If you don't know anything about the Temple Mount, you're new to Christianity, the Temple Mount is a mountain. And it is man-made constructed. King Herod, he went ahead and he had um, stones and he had, con- he had uh, not concrete, but he had stones and everything to flatten out the top. And it's a large rectangle plotted right on top of a mountain. And there is a wall and on the west side is the western wall, or as you've seen in culture, in, in news and everything else, the wailing wall. And when you get to Israel, you go there and you could see this big wall, this western side, and you see the Jewish people. And the Jewish people from time to time, all throughout the day, you will see them crowded up, but they'll be crunched, sometimes two, three, four, five rows back up against the western side of the wall. And the reason why is above that location, right on top of the Temple Mount, is where the temple used to stand. It's where God's presence used to be. And so the Jewish people, in order to be close to God, they will cram as close as they can to this spot to be able to be near the presence of where the presence of God once stood. Now, as Christians, we go there and we're like, this doesn't make any sense because if you stood back, you would think, well, wait a second. Is the only wall the Western wall? And the answer is no. Actually, if you walk down the Western wall, the whole wall is empty down here. There's nobody here. And you almost as a Christian want to go and tap someone on the shoulder and say, hey, you know, you can get up to the wall and touch the wall and pray if you want right over here. You don't have to stand in this. No, no, no. This is the closest to God's presence. Because as Christians, here's the truth. We know that once you have a relationship with Christ, God lives inside of us. And so God's presence is in us. And so we have God's presence all over. And so for Christians, what I love to do is I lead our group and we go to the southern side of the Temple Mount and there are steps that lead to the southern wall. You can walk up those steps. You can put your hand on the wall. You can pray. It's a beautiful garden. It's absolutely amazing. But here's the interesting thing as we talk about this third stone. And this third stone is what we call stepping stones. 
Unfortunately, many of us look at them as stumbling blocks. But on the south side of the temple, these steps are designed in a unique way. In fact, I love to go there and I love watching some young people. I'm a little mischievous. And they get up to the steps and I like to not say anything and watch them walk up the steps. Because here's what happens. If you live in Myrtle Beach and you have steps in your home, you take your first step and you go on autopilot because the craftsmanship in Myrtle Beach, 100% of the time, everything is great, right? For the most part. And so you go to your steps and they're all the same height, the same length. And so when you start walking up steps, your feet automatically go to where they need to be. But in Israel, the steps leading up to the south wall are purposely designed to be different sizes. So I love watching some of the young folks on the tour as they try to go up. And by the third step, they trip because they weren't expecting it. Do you know why they're designed that way? It's because back during the design of the Temple Mount area, this would be the entrance to go up to the Temple Mount and the Temple area where the presence of God sits. And the Jewish leaders wanted to make sure that any Jewish person that was walking up into the presence of God was taking it seriously. That they weren't going on autopilot. That when they approached the steps, that they had to focus and know, I am walking toward the presence of God. For some of us in this room, in our faith, we go on autopilot. I got to be honest, sometimes we pastors go on autopilot. Where all of a sudden we walk into this room and it's another Sunday. Check off the list. Well, another worship time. Check off the list. But where two or more are gathered, God is present. Did you know that God's presence is here right now? And if we actually in our hearts believe that in our hearts, many of you do, but if you actually were focused on that fact, I'm sure your minds and your thoughts would be a lot different if you actually believed that God's presence was right here. Let me illustrate this another way. We've got a baseball team here from Kentucky. We had one for last service too. And I got Presley. Presley, do me a favor, just step forward. I I would, you know, throw it in the crowd, but um, you're a little closer. Last one, we had him way back. Um, But in baseball, um, I was a a college coach and a high school coach, and uh, I learned a technique. And uh, Presley is a catcher. Um, How about you welcome Presley? He's standing up here. A little round of applause for Presley. And um, my son, Connor, 10 years old, he came to me one time, Presley, in a game, and he said, hey, Dad, I want to catch. And he told the head coach he wants to catch. Next thing I know, they're putting the tools of ignorance on my son. You wear the tools of ignorance well, Presley. I just want to let you know that. But anyway, so he puts the, if you don't know baseball, you have no idea what that is. You can look it up later. But anyway, so Connor goes and he puts on the shin guards, the chest protector, the mask. He goes out into the game. And Presley, here's the first thing that happened. Um, When he was catching the first pitch, no one swung. He caught it, strike one. The next pitch, the batter decided to swing. He missed it, though. My son closed his glove and the ball hit his glove and bounced down. He picked it up, threw it back. The next pitch, the guy swung and missed it again. My son, it hit his glove and it bounced out. He didn't close it in time. And I remember sitting there going, Connor knows how to catch. What's going on there? Um, And the truth is, if you ever played catcher, when a batter swings, the bat goes right in front of your face unexpected. And sometimes if you're not practicing hard enough, you blink because you can't help it. Well, guess what's happening? The ball is coming at the same time. And so if you blink, you're guessing where the ball's at and you're closing your glove at any time and you're going to drop the ball. And so Presley, I'm going to trust that you can catch that. And so here's the truth. So what I used to do, you can throw it back. I just want to show off your arm for a second. If that's how hard you throw, I mean, come on, let's, get, let's pick it up. Coach, you got a backup over there? I know you got a twin brother. You, center field, you might need to put on the catcher's gear. But anyway, Presley. So here's the truth. What I used to do is, is I would sit there and I'd say this, Connor, and Presley's going to play my son. True story. In order to teach my son how to focus, I said, Connor, I want you to drop your glove. I want you to put your hands behind your back. 
and now put your, well, he had his catcher's mask on. And what I would do as a coach is I would sit right here, true story, you catch this ball, don't let it hit you. But I would throw the ball right at his mask. See, you didn't think pastors could throw. And so I would sit there and I would continue to throw. And all of a sudden, clunk, and he'd blink. Clunk, and he'd blink. That's for not listening to your mom. No, I'm just teasing. I shouldn't do that. That would not be nice. Um, but after about 10 times of him getting clunked in the mass, don't call child services. I didn't throw that hard. Um, all of a sudden, Connor didn't blink. And that's how he learned to focus. Here's the truth. God, many times, will put stepping stones in your life and you're going to blink. God, what are you doing? God, I don't understand. God, I can't do this. God, there's no way. God, I can't. It's, it's just too hard. I'm going to blink. I'm going to blink. I'm going to blink. And God keeps saying, trust me. God seems to say, if you allow me to put stepping stones in your life, just keep trusting me. Those guys are freaking out behind you because they're afraid you're going to miss. Look, they're ducking right now. But trust me, trust me. God will allow stepping stones to force you to focus, to build your faith. So as you receive these stepping stones, they're not there to trip you up. They're there to bring you closer in your faith and make you better into who God wants you to be. How about a round of applause for Pride This comes from Matthew 17, 20. If you allow those stepping stones in a life, Jesus says this, you don't have enough faith at times, Jesus told him. I tell you the truth. If you had faith, if you allow stepping stones in your life, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. If you're taking a note, stumbling box can sometimes be stepping stones to a better future. There's a fourth stone and I'm done. And this fourth stone is an exciting stone and it's apropos to today. In fact, there was an Easter play being put on one time and there was a young boy who was a bit of a ham. And this young boy, he always wanted the lead role. He would always raise his hand for the lead role. And so the conductor of the play goes and he, and he knows, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna open this up. He's gonna raise his hand. And every, you know, he's just, oh, I, I, I don't necessarily want him in the role of Jesus just because I know his character. No, that was mean, I'm just teasing. Um, but I, I wanna pick someone else to give them a little bit more attention. And so all of a sudden the conductor goes, all right, who wants to play the role of Jesus? And the little boy that's a ham, he held his hands down to the side. And someone else raised their hand. Okay, you can be Jesus. Who wants to be the centurion? He didn't raise his hand. Who wants to be Mary? He didn't raise his hand. Who wants to be this? He raised his hand. All the parts were given out in the play. The boy didn't raise his hand. So finally the conductor goes to him and said, what part do you want to play? And he goes, I want to be the stone on the tomb. What? But then the conductor thought, wait a minute, there's no lines. It's I didn't even have this written in the play, but that's a good idea. I'll just put him right. I'll make dress him as a big rock, put him in front of the tomb. And all he has to do is when it comes time to put Jesus in the tomb, he just shuffles this way. And when I put, and when, then he closes up. And then on Easter Sunday, he rolls open again. I could, we could do this. So they went in and they dressed this kid in a big rolled stone. By the way, that's the fourth stone, a rolled stone. And they put him in a big rolled stone. And all Easter play, he stands there and he does his little thing. And he goes back and he goes set up again. And then he comes back. And all of a sudden at the end of the play, the conductor, because he didn't have any lines or anything, he was expecting the kid to be a little disappointed. So he goes to the kid, he goes, well, did you like being the rolled stone? Yes! He's like, what is the deal? He's like, why? He goes, I just couldn't wait all play to let Jesus out of the tomb. There's many of us in here today. You believe in God, but you've not allowed the stone to roll away. You still have Jesus in the tomb. There's many of you 
Right? You believe in God. But if I were to ask you, are you allowing his power? Are you allowing his relationship? Are you allowing all that he is to work in and through you? The answer would be no. And in essence, you've, you're covering the grave. Today, you have to ask yourself the question, have I let Jesus out of the grave? Because you were created in his image. He has sealed you with a promise to never leave you nor forsake you. And he's allowing grindstone moments in your life. He is placing stepping stones in your path to help you to focus more so that you can build your faith for the next task that he has for you. And he's given you the promise of an empty grave. All you have to do is let Jesus out. And if you do, you'll have the power to do all through him who gives you strength. Pastors aren't supposed to lie, but I lied. There's one more stone. And this stone is conditional. It's called the white stone. And did you know in scripture, in the book of Revelation, there's actually a promise about this white stone, but there's a condition attached to this white stone. You see, there are some in this room that today, if I were to ask you, if you know the difference between a relationship with Jesus Christ and a religion, you would say no. I don't care if you're Baptist, Presbyterian, Pentecostal, Methodist. I don't care about your religion. You won't find too many religions in the Bible. But what you will find are pages and pages and pages of what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the condition on this last stone is that you have a relationship with Christ. Let me read to you what this white stone promise is and I'll explain it in the end. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that's been hidden away in heaven and I will give to each one a white stone. And on that stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. If today you allow Jesus out of the tomb, if today you say, Terry, I want a day-to-day relationship and not a religion, If today you say, Lord Jesus, I want you as my Lord and Savior every single day, I'm going to try my best to follow you. Forgive me of my sin. If that's you today, then you have ears to hear. The thing I love about Jesus is Jesus knew what he was walking towards and he didn't deviate. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, it says that Jesus learned obedience from God. And for some of you in this room, if you've tuned me out, I want you specifically to listen really quickly. If the Son of God, who is God, while He's here on this earth and He knows everything, can be teachable, then how much more should Terry, how much more should you be open-minded and have ears to hear of the truth? Don't listen to a lot of opinion. If you want to know the truth about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, you go to the source. If you don't trust me, that's fine. I'm a man. But go to the source. Because anyone who has ears to hear will receive a white stone and you'll get a new name. You'll be a new creation. So you have a birthstone. You have a grindstone, some of you. You have stepping stones, some of you. You have a rolled stone that I hope you've let Jesus out. And today, prayerfully, you have a white stone which gives you a new name in eternity. Would you pray with me? 
Father, right now where two or more are gathered, you are present and you are in this room, God. And that's a heavy, heavy thing for some people in this room to believe. And God, I understand if they doubt. But Lord, you are bigger than their doubts. The way that we love God is to question God. The way that we show affection for God is to pay attention to you. And so God, I would much rather have someone in this room doubt you to your face than walk away from you and hide. So God, today I pray in this room for the prodigal. I pray for the person maybe who walked in for the very first time. God, today is the day for their relationship to be restored with you. And I just ask and pray that their hearts are open to say, Lord Jesus, you are my Lord and my Savior. Thank you that I believe that you have forgiven me and I will receive a white stone, a new name, and I will be a new creation with you for eternity. The greatest Easter message today is, do you have ears to hear? God, may you bless every family and this may this truly be an incredible Easter in Jesus' name. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information about the ministries at Ocean View, or if you'd like to speak to someone directly, you can visit our website at www.ovbc.org. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.